The first church I ever served as youth pastor, and by the way, if I forgot to dismiss children, build it. Have you all gotten the kids? All right. If you're a child or just feel like a child, slip out. First church I served as youth pastor, we met on Sunday night. That's when the youth meeting was. I was serving in, in a church, but I was also in seminary, so I'd go up every Sunday and be there for Sunday school and worship in the morning and at night have our youth meeting. And the students at Sunday morning would always say, what are we doing at the thing tonight? And I finally decided, we've got to come up with a name for the thing. I said, all right, we're going to, y'all pray about it, think about it. Next week, I'm going to let you vote on what we're going to call this thing we do on Sunday night. And so the next week came along, I passed out index cards. Overwhelmingly, guess what name they picked? The thing. <laughs> so on Sunday night, we did the thing. And I typically teach a Bible study, but one period of time, I said, you know what, I'm just going to answer questions. And so I gave them the index cards again, not the same ones, different index cards, and uh, allowed them to ask any question. And that would then form my study for the week, and I'd answer those questions from a spiritual, biblical context. One kid in our youth group, his name was Doug, two questions he asked was, number one, which came first, the chicken or the egg? And in parentheses, it said, no, I really need to know. I thought, so this is like bothering you. You're not able to sleep at night because you're not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg. So we talked about that. The other one was a little more bizarre than that. This was Doug again. He said, in the event of nuclear attack, is it okay to take a cyanide capsule? Now, you know, Doug was in middle school at the time, so that's just the questions I got from Doug. But overwhelmingly, the other question I got from almost everybody else, whether they asked one, two, or three questions, almost everybody else put as one of their questions, how can I know for sure that I'm saved? And that's kind of followed me into my next position as youth pastor. And even now, one of the biggest questions I get from people is, how can I know for sure? Because you have a very real enemy, the devil, Satan, who would love for you to walk through life just hoping so. And he wants to challenge you to question whether you're saved or not because if you really are saved and satan can get you to question it what does that do it ruins your witness it ruins the joy of your salvation so this morning that's the point of the message and that is we can be secure in our relationship with christ if you've trusted christ as your lord and savior if you've come to jesus and you've believed on him as your lord and savior you are a child of god you don't have to leave here hoping so wishing so thinking something else you can know for sure and there's security in that. There's comfort in that. If you've never done that, you can leave here today having trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me read the first few verses of this passage, starting in verse 25, John's Gospel, chapter 6, 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore, they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So just to give you the context, earlier in the chapter, Jesus has fed the 5,000. In fact, we know from the gospel writers, it was just 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So some scholars believe there may have been 15,000 or more that were fed that day. What is happening is Jesus is ministering around the Sea of Galilee. And occasionally, 
he and his disciples would try to get away from the crowd just to take a break, just so that he could fellowship with the Father, so that they could fellowship with each other and just rest. But every time what would happen is wherever he went, the, the crowd would follow. And the same, that happened with the feeding of the 5,000. They thought they'd kind of pulled away to a quiet place, but no, they found him. And he fed thousands that day. After that, they launch out into the boat, and the crowd sees the disciples get into the boat to go to the other side, heading over towards Capernaum. They don't see Jesus get into the boat. So when the crowd gets around the lake, they had boats too. So they get in their boats, cross the Sea of Galilee. They get to Capernaum, and Jesus is there. How did he get there? Well, if you read between the feeding of the 5,000 and this encounter in later in verse 25, Jesus has walked across the water. The disciples got out into the middle of the ocean, into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and they see Jesus walking on the water. In fact, it's interesting. It said it, it looked as if he intended to pass them by, and yet they call to him, and he has that encounter with Peter. So when the disciples get over to the other side, Jesus is with them. Didn't leave with them in the boat. He provided alternative means of transportation, and he got to Capernaum with them because they landed the boat over there. The crowd gets over there, and they ask, when did you get here? And Jesus says to them, Truly, truly. Several times in John, he uses that phrase, which is, means it's the word amen, but it means firm or trustworthy. It means without possibility of contradiction. Jesus would say, truly, truly. And when he says that, your ears need to perk up because what he's about to say to you is the truth. And he says to these followers, you're seeking me not because you saw a sign. You're seeking me because your bellies are full and you're wanting the buffet to open back up. Now, other times he had kind of criticized people because they were only following because of the signs. But here's the problem. They had missed the sign in the feeding of the 5,000. And all they could think about is our stomachs were full, and we want that again. They were motivated not by a full heart, but by a full belly. And so Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes. The feeding of the 5,000, that food would perish. But what Jesus came to bring was living water, as he talked to the Samaritan woman back in chapter 4, and living food that was from the Father, that endures to eternal life. So Jesus came not for food that perishes, but he came to provide something that would be eternal. He came so that people would come to him to receive. So come to Jesus and believe on him. So the followers that, that followed him around the lake said, so what shall we do? What work shall we do to please God? It's reminiscent of the rich young ruler. Remember him? He comes to Jesus. His question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We find out about this guy. He was very wealthy. He was young, and he was of the ruling class. So where did his money come from? Well, to be young in that culture and have money meant you got it from your daddy. Everything he had, he had inherited when his father died. And so he says to Jesus, the rich young ruler, what must I do? I've inherited all this. He probably had servants and palaces and Jewelry and gold and livestock and fields, but he didn't have eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And kind of the same problem with him as these people were seeing this morning. When he heard what he had to do, he walked away sad. Because Jesus told him, go sell everything you own and give to the poor and then come follow me. What's Jesus calling him to do? Follow me. What would keep him from following Jesus was his stuff. And I believe it's the only time in Scripture that we see somebody leave Jesus sad. Most of the time people came to Jesus and they left joyful. They left 
running, jumping, dancing because they've been healed or they've come to faith in Christ. But the same thing with these people. They just don't get it. Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for food to eternal life. Well, what shall we do? Jesus said, this is the work of God. Believe in him who he has sent. Literally to have faith in or to entrust your spiritual, spiritual well-being to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is calling people to. Not by works, but by what? Grace. Grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Why is it that the people of that day and the people even of our day want to work for it? Do you understand grace? Grace is where God says to you, you don't deserve this, but I'm giving it to you freely. Why? Because I love you. It's not a buy one, get one free. Go to the grocery store, buy one, get one free. I dare you to walk in one day and say, listen, I don't want to buy one, I just want the free one. Somebody else will buy the other one. I want the one maybe they don't want. Wear a mask if you do that because you're probably going to jail. It would, it would be like going over. Your friends invite you over to dinner, and they have your favorite meal. They have your favorite meat, your vegetables, your soup, your dessert. the end of it, you get up and pull your wallet out. How much do I owe for this? They say, you don't owe anything. You are our guest. It was free. It's because we love you. And you just can't accept that, so you reach in your wallet, pull some money out, and just throw it on the table and walk out. That's what the crowd that came to Jesus was trying to do. That's what the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler would have been much happier if Jesus had said, make out a check to my ministry. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, follow me. And if there's anything in your life that would keep you from following me, get rid of it and follow me. So understand the works, the work of God, And then understand Jesus offers new bread. Verses 30 through 34. Let me read that. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may believe, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. So Jesus says, come to me. Don't work for bread or food that perishes, but come to me. And they have the audacity to say, all right, what are you going to do for a sign so that we can see and believe? Well, what had he already done? If they had been paying attention, he had healed people. He turned water into wine. And just in the same passage, the day before, he had fed over 5,000 people, probably thousands, maybe 15,000 people. They wanted to see another trick. Do a sign. What are you going to do that we could see and believe? Because what they're basically saying is, we're not going to believe something we can't see. So do something, perform something for us. And they had already done that. They had been in the presence of Jesus and had missed it. They were spiritually blind they missed what was right in front of them and so they bring up bread out of heaven manna they said moses gave our forefathers manna if you remember the story the children of israel leave egypt they spend 40 years in the wilderness you know why god sent manna because they started grumbling against moses and aaron they started grumbling against their leaders and god took it personally because he finally says you're grumbling against me so he gives them manna and he gives them instructions through moses 
Manna didn't come from Moses. It came from God. And here's the instruction. Every morning, you're going to see it looks like dew. You're going to go and gather enough for that day. Manna. The Bible tells us it tasted like wafers with honey. Doesn't that sound good? And they walked out and said, what is it? And that's what manna means. What is it? So for 40 years, they collected what is it for six days a week. On the sixth day, they collected enough for the seventh day, so they weren't working on the Sabbath. They collected enough. And it's interesting, if you read the account over in Exodus 16, some of them didn't get it. Moses said, don't collect anything on the Sabbath. You're going to have enough from the day before. Don't collect any of this that you're going to store or hoard or save up. Why? Because it's going to go bad. Worms and maggots are going to inhabit it. But it still says some of them went out on the Sabbath day to look. So well, there's no what is it here this morning. Might be a good name for a restaurant in Myrtle Beach. What is it? Some of y'all are probably eating school food. And you're kind of going, what is this? Well, it's not manna. But they want to talk about this heavenly food. And what Jesus wants to talk about to them is heavenly food, certainly. But it was him that was the heavenly food. So it's written that Moses gave our forefathers bread out of heaven. Jesus clarified, no, God gave you that. Here's the problem with people then, and here's the problem with people now. Here's what they're asking. Prove yourself and give us what we want. Do you know church people like that? I'm not talking about your church, but I've heard this in other churches. That people come and hit, some people will leave because the church isn't meeting their needs. We've become consumer-driven churches. Why don't you go to that church anymore? Well, they weren't meeting my needs. Well, were you doing anything to meet anybody else's needs? Church isn't about you. It's about Jesus. And yet the same shallow understanding we see in this crowd that followed Jesus is the same shallowness we see in people, even people in church. So Jesus gives them another truly. Truly, truly, not Moses has given you bread out of heaven, but my Father. And he gives life to the world. That was a significant statement in that day and age because the Jews believed the Messiah was coming just for them. And in the same way John 1 says he came to his own and his own didn't receive him, but to them that did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. In the same way the Samaritan woman who was, her whole culture was hated by the Jewish people and Jesus brought living water that transformed the whole country because they came to faith in Christ, many of them did. Jesus says, We're all, I'm offering that same thing to the world. I give life to the world. And not just life where you breathe, but abundant, eternal life the way God intended. So give us this bread. Give us Always give us this bread. So they're saying, okay, Jesus, we get it. We'll always give us this bread. Open the buffet back up so that we're fed every single day. They were still missing it. I had a friend that used to go to buffets, and he'd stand at the end of it. As soon as he picked his plate up, here's what he'd say. We ain't leaving till we're heaving. They were wanting the all-you-can-eat buffet. Myrtle Beach did not invent the all-you-can-eat buffet, apparently. It was the feeding of the 5,000 because they had stuff left over. They had had their bellies full. And so when they hear Jesus offering this bread, they're thinking, this is great. This is like the manna in the wilderness. And So give us, always give us this, perpetually, every day. Jesus had to correct their thinking. Four thoughts about correcting their thinking. Number one, Moses didn't give the manna. He just gave the instruction. 
2, the manna was not the true bread. The manna pointed towards something else. The true bread was to come, and that's Jesus. The manna only gave physical life. The new bread would give spiritual, eternal life. And the manna was only given to Israel. But the true bread that's out of heaven is given to the world. So Jesus not only offers new bread, he had to explain what the new bread is. They were looking for bread out of heaven. The bread was right in front of them. They were that close to Jesus. Here's the answer. And they were totally missing it. So he makes it unambiguous. He says, I am. There's seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. Let me remind you of the ones that follow this. This is the first I am statement. But he also says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection in life. I'm the way, truth, and life, and I'm the true vine. Jesus says, I am. First I am statement. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst again. Two things required. Number one, come to Jesus. Number two, believe in him. To believe in Jesus means you trust him completely as Messiah and the Son of God. To acknowledge that salvation comes through faith in Him. It means this. It means you quit going to the places you were going to find meaning in life, and you come to Jesus and find true meaning in life. You're not picking up manna off the side of the road. You're picking up manna that comes, true bread that comes down out of heaven. Jesus says, you have seen me and do not believe. Isn't that a powerful statement? Jesus said, I've been right in your face. I'm this close to you. You've seen me feed the 5,000. You've seen or know now that I've walked across the water. I didn't leave in the boat with the disciples, but I ended up in the boat. How do you think that happened? You've seen signs that I am who I say I am. I'm right in your face. As a preacher, some of you don't think we can see you. Some of you think, there's, like, this is not video. I'm live. And I watch people. One of the saddest encounters I've ever had was watching God get all over a young man. And I could tell Jesus was right in his face. And during the invitation, he sat there and struggled. He resisted. And finally, the invitation's over. He could take a sigh. He had had outlasted God, I guess. Within a month, the next time I saw that guy was laying in a casket. He had been killed in a drug deal. And I'll never forget thinking, I don't know if he came to faith in Christ. I hope he did. But folks, I don't want you to be like the crowd. Jesus is right there and they're still saying, what what are you going to do for us? What's the sign? Well, provide us with this bread out of heaven. And Jesus is right there and they're missing the fact the new life, the new bread is giving you life and it's right here now. You've seen me, and yet you don't believe. There's a story that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man dies, goes to hell. He's thirsting to death. He's tormented by the flame, and he can look into heaven and see Abraham. And Lazarus is leaned up against Abraham, and he's saying, just let him dip some water on his finger and put it on my tongue. And he's told, that can't happen. There's a gulf between us. You can't come here. We can't go there. And he said, well, then do this. Send somebody to my family. And Jesus says, you know what? Even if somebody came back from the dead, there are people who will not believe that I am the Son of God, that I am the Messiah, that I am the bread of life. 
And then here's the comfort. All the Father gives me will come to me, and he who comes I certainly will not cast out. Isn't that a great? If you come to Jesus, here's his promise. He won't turn you away. He won't reject you. He won't cast you out. Have you ever printed tickets off? Have you ever bought something over the Internet from a third-party seller? Maybe it's to go to a ball game, and you kind of print it out, and you're in the car on that three- or four-hour drive to the ball game. Does the thought ever cross your mind, I wonder if this is going to be good when I get there? You don't have to get to heaven hoping that the ticket you got is good. You don't have to remember your ticket. It's already been sealed by the one that God sealed. You can one day face God with the assurance that I'm going to spend eternity with him. Why? Because I came to Christ and he didn't cast me out. Certainly in no way will I cast you out. I've come down to heaven from heaven not to do my will but the will of him who sent me, which really was the point of last week's message. Jesus didn't come to do his will. What would Jesus do? WWJD bracelet. He would do exactly what he saw the Father doing and exactly what the Father told him to do. Last two verses, he says, This is the will of him who sent me. Of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father. Verse 40, so this is the will of my Father. He's about to tell you, so listen carefully. This is the will of my Father. Everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, everlasting, abundant life. It starts the day you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you can be just as sure of it as one day when you see him face to face. I myself will raise him up on the last day. You possess eternal life now with the promise of the resurrection in the final day. Let me read a passage that occurs later in John's gospel. This is a passage, John 10, where two of those I am, other I am statements occur, but it's John 10, 27 through 30. If you're a child of God, find comfort in this passage. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today and find comfort in this passage. Listen to Jesus. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Folks, it's not about how tight your grip is to Jesus. It's about how tight his grip is on you. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to live your life hoping, worrying, wondering, am I really a child of God? You can know it, and you can go back to the day, to the event, to know I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Same author, John, writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He also writes the book of Revelation. 1st John five thirteen. he says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That means today you can walk out of this place with full assurance I'm secure in Christ, not because of my hold on him, but he's promised that nothing can snatch out of his hand. He's protecting you. He's securing you. He has sealed you for the day of promise. Take comfort in that. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ,